Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we're going to be talking about Season 7, Episode 9, How to Win Friends and Influence Monsters, written by Ben Edlund and directed by Guy B. Can I interest anyone in a turducken slammer? Because I'm incredibly amused at myself that I'm recording this one Thanksgiving week. It feels weirdly appropriate, but also disappointing that I probably don't have as much time to devote to this one as I'd like to. But I'm going to do my best because I truly, honestly love this episode. I carved out a time earlier in the week so that I would not miss recording this one. (laughs) I didn't want to fall a week behind for this one. And any and all Thanksgiving puns are entirely uh, (laughs) semi-unintentional. We're finally getting back to the main season myth arc and learning what the Leviathan have been up to. Our heroes finally learn who Dick Roman is, and the dick jokes really begin in earnest. After weeks of unrelenting prodding from Sam, Dean finally gets drugged into revealing a little bit of what's actually been bothering him all this time, and honestly good for him that he even got a little of a break from carrying that huge burden around for so long. And RIP to Sammy, because he just doesn't process why Dean might feel this way about these particular losses, and just continues to flog Dean over it. Anyway. But we are going to save everything else until we get there, because this is all fun and games until it very suddenly is not fun at all right at the very end. Yeah, it's got a lot of silly moments and fun stuff, but it ends on a really horrifying note that will be fleshed out next week's episode. Just one more crime that Gamble era pulled on us. Anyway, let's just get right into the then segment, which opens with the reminder that, hey, yeah, this season has a big bad monster in it. Leviathans, that they don't fear anything because apparently they believe they cannot be killed followed by Bobby telling Sam and Dean that these things are smarter than you. So not only are they invincible, but also intelligent enough to maybe get you. We then cut to last week's episode where Dean tells Crowley that we've been busy and Crowley's like, oh, hunting Leviathan. And I'm sitting here scratching my head going, God, they haven't even mentioned Leviathan in like three episodes. (laughs) What's a Leviathan? I forget, you know. But Crowley did make the comment, you've met that dick, right? And Sam and Dean have no idea who dick is. They just thought Crowley meant some specific Leviathan who he thought was a dick, not actual dick. Then we cut to Dick Roman and his meeting with Crowley. And the reason that we know Crowley hates the guy. We then cut to Frank Devereaux, who gave them essentially new fake identities taught them a little course in Paranoia 101, and then we cut to Sam prodding Dean about not being fine. Dean at that point claims that he doesn't feel right lying to Sam and has been climbing the walls about that over the whole Amy business, which is not mentioned in this then segment, because we're beyond that now. We're into what's actually making Dean not himself lately, because Sam is still trying to get to the bottom of it, even after he got to the bottom of the Amy stuff and got Dean telling him the truth. What is still making Dean feel crummy? And then that brings us to now. 
We open on some creature running through the woods at night and comes upon a campsite where some people have a generator and a big fancy tent and even like a full-size bed and nightstands and side table lamps and coffee. They're lying in bed in their sleeping bags watching TV. They turn off the light and the television and they get ready for bed and the man puts in headphones and is listening to a recording that's supposed to help lull him to sleep. This is Nature Sounds. Sounds of Nature. And that narrator on that recording is Bob Singer. If you ever wanted to know what Bob Singer sounds like, that's it. Volume 4 of Nature Sounds is Soothing Seas, which I always thought was kind of funny. This guy's going camping in the wilderness in the woods and is listening to nature sounds to relax. I'm like, dude, just take the headphones out and listen to the nature sounds around you. (laughs) You're in the goddamn woods. But no, apparently he wanted to listen to the ocean. I'm like, well, then go to the beach, (laughs) dude. Anyway, (laughs) I I know it's commentary on this sort of person, but you know. (laughs) Later on, we cut back to another shot of that man all cocooned up in his sleeping bag, pulled tight around his head even. And then the camera angle rotates to show us that he's no longer lying in bed. He's dangling by his feet from a tree. How he slept through that, I will never have any idea. It's even more baffling than listening to to beach sounds in the forest. He wakes up, screams for his wife, gets no response, He's stuck. He can't climb out of the bag. Plus, he's dangling like 30 feet off the ground. And then some sort of creature starts rustling its way around in the tree. Poor guy screams. And then bloody bits of the sleeping bag come crashing to the ground, including his little iPod recorder thing. When it hits the ground, it starts playing again. This is nature sounds. Sounds of nature. As you can hear him being torn to pieces up above and screaming. Sounds of nature, very soothing. And then we cut to the title card. And that sets the tone of this entire episode. It is deeply, deeply unserious. But still very serious because, you know, myth arc. This is myth arc, okay? I love Ben Edlund. This is why. Post-title card, we cut to Hamilton, New Jersey, where Sam and Dean are in some sort of old, abandoned-looking building, stripping wire and using jumper cables to get the electricity working. They're off the grid, right? They're not checking into motels or trying to leave any sort of digital footprint or visual footprint of them. So they're squatting in really awful places like this. As they get it working well enough to have the lights come on, Bobby comes in with a bunch of other stuff. Bobby tells them he is taking a page out of Frank Devereaux's book. When everybody else is out to get you, paranoia is just common sense. So off-grid they remain. Dean complains that they'd been living like this for weeks, without electricity, without a hot shower, without hot food even. They've got nothing, but they don't know who the Leviathans might be or where they might be. And all the Leviathans are hunting for them. Just as Bobby says that they have to stay off the grid, the electricity cuts out again. Their jury rigging failed. So Sam turns on a camping lantern. And none of them are in any way happy. 
Dean is at the end of his rope, though. He's like, what, this is the third time the world's tried to off itself in three years between the apocalypse and and the whole second apocalypse and then Leviathan. Dean's like, how many times are we going to have to steer the bus away from the edge of the cliff? And Sam's like, somebody's got to do it. And Dean's like, what if the bus wants to go off the cliff? Sam's like, what, you think the world wants to end? And Dean's like, yeah, I think it would have offed itself already if it hadn't been for us saving it repeatedly. Maybe we should stop doing that. That's scary from Dean. But at least Dean's got a cooler full of beer. And Bobby is like trying to talk Dean off the ledge in the very Bobbiest of ways, telling him just not to bother with those big picture questions. You're going to hurt yourself. So they go back to working on what they can, this case that dragged them out to New Jersey. The thing that's apparently been killing campers and been spotted several times in the woods, a fast-moving human-like creature, because of where they are, everybody's assuming it's the Jersey Devil. While Bobby and Sam discuss the lore and the various forms it's been sighted in over the years, Dean's just lying on the couch drinking a beer, being cynical. Sam hands over an article about the camper we saw die in the cold open, titled Camping High Season Harshed by Human Burrito. What a caring-sounding article. In addition to that camper and his missing wife, four other people have disappeared in the last few weeks. Bobby is excited at the prospect of going actual hunting, like walking through the woods with a rifle hunting instead of lurking in dank places for monsters. Just a little change of pace here, hunting for something that could be a bear, could be like a wild animal. Dean tells him it'll have to wait till tomorrow after they interview local law enforcement to make sure it's not just some sort of crackhead out there who's killing campers. But he calls them glampers. Bobby's like, what the hell's a glamper? And yeah, it's those people we saw in the cold open. Bobby describes that sort of camping as idiotic, and yes, we all agree, and Sam's kind of forlorn when he's like, yeah, some people just don't know how to live, and it's like, they've spent weeks living off the grid, effectively camping, not even glamping. Glamping would be a step up for them from what they've been experiencing. They've been roughing it to the extreme, probably mostly living out of their cars, This is probably the first time they've had a hot meal in days, at least. So, welcome to Biggerson's the next day, where they're talking to a local forest ranger, Ranger Rick Evans, who prefers to be called Ranger Rick because he thinks that's fun. For those of you who don't know who Ranger Rick is, he's a cartoon character, a raccoon, and the star of a children's magazine, published by the National Wildlife Federation. I used to have a subscription when I was a kid. So when he said Ranger Rick, I was like, oh my God, Ranger Rick. I love you, Ranger Rick. (laughs) Sorry, off tangent. They're talking to Ranger Rick inside the Biggersons, and he is eating one of the very heavily advertised Turducken Slammer sandwiches and seems really freaking stoned. Sam and Dean are in their fed suits, trying to sound professional, and Ranger Rick's just like, when they ask him if he's the one who found the guy, Rick's like laughing almost, and it's like, yep, the human burrito. Rick rambles on, sort of stonedly, (laughs) 
about the things they don't know about the forest and how he and his partner have been finding random bits of leftovers, parts of deer, a badger, parts of house pets that had been going missing. He looks around as if he expects to see the guy. He hadn't seen his partner in several days, and he's just kind of chill about it. Sam is kind of incredulous, like, you know, do you think he might be missing? And Ranger Rick just keeps eating, and he's like, yeah, I should probably report that. And then Bobby walks in, and Sam and Dean excuse themselves. Dean might like Ranger Rick, find him amusing, but they're clearly not going to get any useful information out of him. Dean leaves him a business card as he gets up and tells him to enjoy his lunch, and calls him Ranger Rick with a little smile on his face, like, Dean really enjoyed calling this guy Ranger Rick. Bobby gives them the report from the coroner's office. He looked at the body. It's not a leviathan that killed the thing. It's still got parts of its heart, so it wasn't a werewolf. And it's not a Wendigo because they don't leave scraps. They have no idea what this creature is. But they all agree that they're hungry. So Dean flags down a server. He even bothers to read the guy's name tag and call him by name. And the guy looks furious. Like, Dean's working overtime to be extra good to the server, and he just turns around and bites Dean's head off, metaphorically speaking. As the waiter walks away, Sam makes fun of Dean for his not funny or not coherent comeback of, do you want to look like a hostess? Like, the guy just totally snapped. Bobby's only comment is, I hope we don't get Brandon's section, because what an awful waiter to have. He already pre-hates you. But unfortunately, they do end up in Brandon's section. He insults them as he puts down their food, just sort of tosses it down on the table. Soup and salad for Big Bird, and the Traducken Slammer for Kendall, and, and a little heart smart for Creepy Uncle. Dean asks the guy, what is your problem? And the waiter just yells at him, you are my problem. Like, this is, you're about to get fired, waiter, (laughs) behavior. Sam and Dean then tell Bobby about their interview with Ranger Rick. Sam doesn't think he even believes in the Jersey Devil. He did seem a little stoned. Dean interrupts Sam, taking a bite of his TDK slammer. He's like, oh, that is good sandwich. Bobby asks him what he got. Dean shows him the little sign, Pepper Jack Turducken Slammer, limited time only. Bobby sneers at it, bunch of birds shoved up inside each other. You shouldn't play God like that. It's kind of funny that we will find out that the Leviathans did engineer the Turducken Slammer. They were trying to play God, messing with human anatomy, genetics, whatever, engineering their perfect food just the way we do to like cattle or chickens or whatever. So yeah, they are in a way using the TDK Slammer to play God. Sam does seem to believe that the ranger had seen something out in the forest, even if he couldn't identify it or didn't believe in the Jersey Devil. Dean just continues making out with his sandwich, and we hear an argument erupt from the kitchen. Brandon and his boss are having a very loud argument. Apparently, Brandon had called someone fat, and his boss was like, she's big-boned. He gets so angry about this that Brandon whips off his apron, slams it down on the counter, 
and quits. Dean's really unperturbed by any of that. As soon as the drama's done, he just goes right back to his turducken slammer. As if three bites in, it's already the only thing in his life that matters anymore. Later that day, Sam, Dean, and Bobby are out hiking in the woods with their rifles, long-range weapons, and Bobby's actually doing some, like, normal hunter tracking. Not hunting for monsters tracking, but he identifies fur on one of the branches that they walk past and knows that two bucks were probably fighting and the other one probably won. Sam's like, I forget that before you were a hunter, you were actually, like, a hunter. Dean reminisces that Bobby used to take them hunting when their father would dump them off at Bobby's when he had a case to work, and they learned most of the tracking that they know from Bobby. Bobby grumbles that he was never able to convince Sam or Dean to actually pull the trigger on a single deer. Like, they'll hunt monsters all the live long day, but Dean couldn't bring himself to shoot Bambi. Bobby's like, you don't shoot Bambi. You shoot Bambi's mother. Does this make Dean Bambi? A few minutes later, they look up and they have found Phil, shredded and bloody, dangling from another tree. It's after nightfall when Ranger Rick finally drives out and meets them in the woods. He's like, I got your call, but I'm not sure I understood what you were saying. Dean just takes his rifle with a flashlight attached to it and shines it up in the tree. And Ranger Rick's like, oh, I think we found Phil. Dean's like, yeah, that's what I said. And Rick and Dean both have a little laugh about this. Like, as off as they think Ranger Rick is, Dean's kind of off now, too. Rick walks back to his truck to call it in. And we see that something is lurking in the underbrush watching him. While Rick's trying to get a signal through, he's not really paying attention to his surroundings, but Sam, Dean, and Bobby are. They notice that there's some strange sounds in the forest around where Rick is. Rick's oblivious. Bobby calls out, I think we've got company. And Rick's just like, yeah, who's that? Like, oh, exciting. We've got company. And before Bobby can say anything else, the company reaches out growls, and yanks Rick off into the woods. Sam, Dean, and Bobby all pursue. They hear rustling up in the trees. Whatever took him dragged him up there. Bobby orders them to turn their flashlights off. Sam tries to argue that that's not a good idea, and Bobby tells him to shut up and listen. You can't see him in all that tree canopy, but you can hear him. You can hear, like, gross chewing and ripping sounds. Whatever the monster is that took Rick, it is now eating him. Dean's response is, man, I liked Rick. Bobby and Sam both are like, what the fuck, Dean? Bobby just closes his eyes and focuses on firing at the sound of that chewing. And one bullet brings a really creepy looking thing falling out of the tree. And it's clutching one of Rick's arms. Dean's like, what about the rest of Ranger Rick? And Bobby's like, well, he called in his location. His own will find him. We've got work to do. They bring home the corpse, supposedly, of the really creepy humanoid thing that had been eating Rick. Clear off the dining room table in their little squatter's cabin and lay him out for an autopsy. This is very alien autopsy here. 
the thing is built real lean, but is super duper strong. Could haul a full-size grown-up human man up a tree, but it didn't take anything special to bring it down. Not even a silver bullet, just a regular old bullet apparently killed it. Or not, as the thing leaps to its feet faster than you can even blink, and then Sam Dean and Bobby all whip out their handguns and just fill it full of bullets. Maybe one regular bullet and a fall from a treetop didn't kill it, but man, (laughs) a couple dozen rounds in the chest at point-blank range will probably will. Once it's down again, Dean rifles through its pants for its wallet and identification. He pulls it out and it's all like gooey and gross. And Dean's like, oh, that is just going to ruin the leather. Once again, Sam and Bobby are like, what the fuck, Dean? Sam grabs the wallet from Dean and Bobby's like, are you feeling okay? Sam finds his driver's license. He was a local man who was apparently 5'9 and 235 pounds. Well, that does not at all describe the corpse that they've got laid out on the table here. The one that they described earlier as supermodel skinny. Dean makes the truly awful joke that maybe all of this craziness is a lap band side effect. You know, it's a weight loss surgery where they put the band around your stomach. Like maybe he lost all this weight and it's driven him crazy like this. Dean thinks it's funny, but nobody else does. Bobby notices something weird takes a stick and prods one of Gerald's wounds and comes up with some gray sludgy slime. It's definitely not a normal human bodily secretion. Bobby and Sam are hard at work autopsying this guy and his organs are apparently swimming in the gray goo and apparently it does not smell good by Sam's reactions to it. Dean wanders in with a drink and he's like, anybody else hungry? Like, no, they're not hungry at all, Dean. Bobby finds his stomach, which is absolutely full of the weirdest crap. They find parts of Ranger Rick, a whole pine cone, a pack of gum still in the wrapper, and a whole cat's head, like he swallowed the head whole. Not normal at all. And all through this, Dean is just casually standing, leaning against the fireplace mantle, drinking his whiskey, supremely unconcerned by anything. Bobby pulls out a large black mass the size of your head, and he believes it's supposed to be the guy's adrenal glands that are supposed to be the size of a hotel bar soap and bright orange. Yeah, something sent this guy's adrenal glands into super-duper overdrive. Dean interrupts again. Guys, seriously, is it time for dinner? And it's clear that Sam is getting fed up with Dean. But they humor him and take him back to Biggerson's. Bobby and Sam just have a cup of coffee, but Dean's got a beer and another turducken slammer. Sam's using the time to research their dead guy. He was the third guy to go missing. He was an air conditioning repairman, and the picture of him on his website looks nothing like the corpse that they just autopsied. And it only took a few days for him to go from perfectly normal human to whatever the hell that thing was in the woods. But they assume that Gerald is responsible for some of the other disappearances and the partially eaten corpses that they've been finding in the woods. Sam turns to Dean and asks what he thinks about it. Dean's too focused on his sandwich and he's like, 
No, I'm not worried about it. Bobby's like, excuse me? Dean's like, it's funny, right? I could give two shakes of a rat's ass. Is it a rat that shakes his ass? And he just laughs and goes back to eating. And that prompts Sam to look around the rest of the restaurant where everybody else is eating turducken slammers and just is equally uncaring about anything else going on in the world. Sam grabs the burger out of Dean's hands, but Bobby knows there's something funky in that sandwich. They get it wrapped up to go, and if it wasn't enough that there were three birds all stuffed up inside each other, the to-go packet is made up to look like a silver swan. So it's just one more bird in the fake bird inside each other extravaganza. They bring it home and they put it down on the same table to autopsy the sandwich. Dean's like, this is stupid. My sandwich didn't do anything. Dean is completely stoned now. I don't know what you think you're going to find. Bobby's like, there's something wrong with you, Dean. And as a blanket statement, yeah, there kind of is. But in this case, Dean thinks he's fine. He feels great. He just starts babbling. It's the best he's felt in a couple of months. Cass, black goo, I don't even care anymore. You know what's better? I don't care that I don't care. Like, he's not even bothered. He knows he should care about these things, and he doesn't even care about that. But the first thing he mentioned was Cass. That's something that had been bothering him for months. Just the guilt of that is still bothering him. He's fessed up about Amy. He's fessed up about everything else. There's nothing else secret, hidden, or guilt-inducing that he has not told Sam about at this point, other than Cass. And Sam knows that that's a point of guilty feelings for Dean, but most people move past that after a while, But for some reason with Cass, Dean has been unable to let that go for months. And this is the first time he's been able to. And he's enjoying not caring, even though he knows that if he had the ability to care, he would be upset that he wasn't able to care about it. (laughs) Poor Dean. Dean just wants his sandwich back. And Sam's like, you're completely stoned, just like Ranger Rick was as well as everybody else in that restaurant who was eating the TDK Slammer. But while they've all been talking, and they've got this sandwich just sitting on a plate, apparently it's past its sell-by date because it gushes out a tidal wave of that gray goo that they found inside their dead guy. And Dean just points at it, and he's like, wait, that's in me? And Sam tries to offer him a slight bit of comfort, only half of it like the other half's right here on the plate you didn't eat that part so yay so the same stuff that caused jerry browder to go bat shit in the woods eating cat heads and killing rangers and is causing dean to turn into an idiot is being served up in the tdk slammer and dean finally feels something about this if i wasn't so chilled out right now i would puke And Sam finally gets his little moment of, yeah, okay. But honestly, Dean, you you might want to actually try to puke because that might actually make you feel better sooner. (laughs) Or worse, considering you're sort of numb to feeling bad right now. Sorry. So because they don't have any other leads on who or what is poisoning the meat at Biggerson's, they go stake out Biggerson's company headquarters. 
Poor Dean gets to take a nap in the back seat to sleep off his TDK slammer high, while Sam and Bobby stake the place out. While Dean's passed out cold, though, Bobby and Sam have a little heart-to-heart. Sam asks if Bobby thinks Dean's okay, and Bobby's like, yeah, he'll be fine. And Sam's like, so does that mean you're, you're not worried about him? Bobby's like, what, you mean like before the turducken? Sam's like, yeah, more like since my head broke and we lost Cass. He feels like Dean's just going through the motions, but he's not the same Dean. Bobby's like, how could he be? Like, he's been through some shit. And Bobby says one of the greatest things that he ever says to either of them. Dean's always worried about you. You're always worried about him. So who's left to live their own life here? Like, don't you have enough problems just playing mind games with Lucifer inside your own head? Sam admits to Bobby that seeing Lucifer is okay with him. It's not fun, but at least all my crazies under one umbrella. Like, he knows what the crazy is. He has that little scar on his hand, and we get a nice close-up camera angle of him squeezing and rubbing his hand. When something goes to shit inside his own head, he knows the source, enough that he can just ignore it, shove it down, pretend it's not happening, act normal through it. How long can that last, though? This is really concerning. Their conversation gets interrupted, though, when a truck comes backing up to the warehouse, marked Midwest Meat and Poultry Wholesale Distribution. He wheels in a dolly full of cartons and then drives off again. Meanwhile, somewhere else in town, a woman leaves her office late at night, hears a noise as she's getting into her car, and should have been alerted by the guy's flashing light rainbow suspenders that he's still wearing from when he worked at Biggerson's, but Brandon the waiter from earlier in the episode has now been transformed into a Gerald-like monster that is attacking people. He tackles the woman, slams her head onto the pavement, before another car screeches up. A man gets out, walks over to the guy, and slaps him away, like knocks him unconscious. We don't get a shot of who it is, but it's Edgar the Leviathan. Meanwhile, Bobby has trailed the Midwest meat and poultry truck back to a different warehouse. By the time they get there, though, Dean is awake, a little groggy, but slightly more coherent. The factory where the truck has pulled in doesn't look anything like a slaughterhouse or a meatpacking plant. It just looks like some sort of import warehouse. Their intent is to wait until they close the place down for the night and then break in and snoop around. When Edgar the Leviathan pulls up in his junker of a car and hauls the waiter out of his trunk. Inside the warehouse, Brandon the bonkers waiter, now with a bag over his head, gets put in the cage with some other people who've been affected similarly. And Edgar has a meeting with Dr. Gaines, Jody Mills' monster doctor. Dr. Gaines is like, I was so busy with the experiment, I didn't even realize you were back. And Edgar seems very disgruntled, I'm back because of the experiment. Dr. Gaines's newer experiments are not solving their issue with adverse reactions. Most people absorb whatever it is they're doing to the meat and turn into stoners, but a very few outliers turn into ravening beasts. And that's drawing unwanted attention. 
Edgar orders Dr. Gaines to burn them. Dr. Gaines is like, what? No, I need them. They're crucial for my test data to see what went wrong. And Edgar's only warning after that is, Dick is coming, which is a brilliant play on words, but a little disturbing. But this bit of information stops Dr. Gaines in his tracks. And without question or hesitation, he orders his assistant to burn them. The next morning, Bobby and Dean are still in the front seat of the van, and Sam has gone around to the other side of the building and hasn't seen anything out that way either. But while Sam's making his way back to the van, Bobby now gets to have a heart-to-heart with Dean. Convenient that he gets to have heart-to-hearts with both boys before the end of this episode. He asks Dean how his head is, and Dean's like, well, the slammer's pretty much wore off. He's had so much coffee that he's now tense and alarmed. Bobby's like, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. Bobby wants to confront Dean about his new party line, about the world being a suicide case and that we save it over and over again and maybe we should just stop. Dean argues that he's on the case. He's there. What's the problem? And Bobby tells him he's seen a lot of hunters live and die and Dean is starting to talk like one of the dead ones. Dean insists that he's just talking the way a person does when they've just had it, when they used to think that all of this mattered, and they don't anymore. And geez, what did we establish was the one change? Because Bobby and Sam aren't talking like this because of the Leviathans. The only other thing that's been mentioned that has been bringing Dean down was losing Cass. That is literally it. So even if you are not a Destiel shipper, which I can't understand why you're listening to my podcast if you're not, or at least passively accept it, I don't know how you can look at the show at this point and say, that's not what they're saying here. Bobby's like, oh, come on, you're not a person. And Dean's like, uh, excuse me? Bobby retorts that Dean tried to hang it up and be a person with Lisa and Ben, and that didn't work out. And now here you are with me in a van full of guns. That ain't person behavior. You're a hunter, meaning you're whatever job you're doing today. And if you start giving into this nihilistic shit, something's going to sneak up behind you and rip your head off. He tells Dean he needs to find a reason to get back in the game. If it's love or spite or a $10 bet. And he tells Dean, if you die before me, I'll kill you. Like, Get your head on straight before this shit attitude is what ends up killing you. You're going to get careless because of it. Dean's lip quivers a little bit at this. Like, he gets it. He didn't realize Bobby had this strong of a feeling about it. But Dean's only retort is, we need to scrape some money together and get a condo for you or something. Like, time for you to retire, bud. (laughs) But that's just his deflection, and it's the usual banter that he shares with Bobby over emotional issues. And it's funny enough, the very first thing Bobby said to find as one of his causes, love, is kind of the thing that gets Dean back in the game, because the first time we see Dean looking even a little bit positive about their situation is in like seven episodes when they get cast back. But Dean's going to actually have to get a little bit worse than this first. But they can't continue the conversation because Sam gets back in the truck, letting them know that something is up out there. 
convoy of SUVs has pulled up, and Dick Roman gets out of one of them. Bobby recognizes him as he goes over and shakes hands with Edgar, and Dr. Gaines is standing right there, another Leviathan that Bobby knows by face. When Dean asks who the hell Dick Roman is, it cuts to a news article that Dean is watching in show titled The Rise of Dick, First Edition. He's a billionaire on a corporate takeover warpath, and he's spouting all the standard billionaire venture capitalist bullshit about, oh, you got if you want to win, you got to be the shark. Sharks got to eat. Yeah, like Leviathans. It then has him photoshopped receiving awards and smiling with the likes of Joe Biden and Prince Harry. He also does motivational seminars called When in Rome. He's also a vocal member of the NRA, standing in front of a big flag holding up a rifle. He's also attracted conservative political attention. This picture of him laughing with George W. Bush, with Bill Clinton in the foreground. Dean's like, what the hell is this? And then realizes, oh no, no, now this is making sense. Remember when Crowley said, you know, have you met that dick yet? I just thought he was talking about, he was just a dick in general. He meant dick. And that's when they realize how much more screwed they are than they even imagined. The Leviathans are infiltrating in a much grander scale than they had imagined. They're not just hacking their credit cards or following them around in penny-ante little cases. They're taking over corporate America and possibly political America. But because they now have the drop on them on that, they have a chance, maybe one chance, to figure out what they're actually doing here. Bobby begins assembling a long-range parabolic microphone, and Dean's like, where the hell did you get that? From Frank, it'll pick up vibrations from window glass half a mile away. He's going to use it to try and spy on the Leviathans. Inside the Leviathans facility, they have a test subject range that's all set up like a standard living room, with a family sitting around eating Biggerson's food and just mindlessly chewing away while watching eye surgery on the television. Not exactly everybody's normal dinnertime fare. From a window up above, Dick Roman, Dr. Gaines, and Dick's assistant Susan stand up at the window. Dr. Gaines explains that the food additive he put in the turducken has a near 100% effectiveness. From the first dose, it works on their DNA, slowing their metabolism, makes them perfectly complacent, and causes rapid weight gain. They haven't even noticed that Grandma is dead over in the other chair. Dr. Gaines says that if you leave it out for more than an hour, the cooked patty reverts into an unappealing state. We saw it, the gray goo. But he has yet to have a case of leftovers. Everybody who's tried one can't stop eating them. Dick Roman stays in his positive mindset of yes and asks Dr. Gaines to tell him about his failures. Dr. Gaines hesitates for a moment. Uh, my My failures? Yes, the ones that went off the rails. Dr. Gaines says they've been very instructive, 
And Dick retorts that, no, you see, I asked for complacency, not complacency with a 0.03 margin of hyperadrenalized cannibalism. Dr. Gaines insists that he will get that under control. And Susan whips out the newspaper with the camping high season harshed by human burrito headline. And Dick finds this completely unacceptable. Dick wants to use this as a teachable moment and asks for Dr. Gaines' help with that. Dr. Gaines is excited about this. He thought he was getting canned, but no, apparently he's going to be made an example. Yeah, he's not going to like it. Back in the van, Sam and Dean haven't seen anything from their vantage point. Bobby's up on the roof with his fancy microphone, and he's just watching Dick Roman, Susan, and Dr. Gaines return to Dick's office. Susan's discussing the business meetings that she has scheduled for Dick Roman with the archdiocese and a senator. He's got his fingers in all kinds of pies. Dr. Gaines tries to explain what his program has to offer, and Dick cuts him off like, no, let me explain why we're shutting your program down. But Dr. Gaines violated Dick's golden rule. Don't make the papers. Dick corrects him and says, no, the golden rule is there's no such thing as monsters, which is a lot bigger deal than just don't make the papers with anything weird. Don't let the public think that there's anything such as monsters out there to look for. In order to make this right and to demonstrate that for all of their co-workers, Dr. Gaines will do anything. And Susan opens up a briefcase and pulls out a plastic restaurant bib. Dr. Gaines looks around horrified and everybody else in the room's like, there you are, that's how you make this right. He reluctantly sits down. Susan ties the bib on him. It's got a big old cartoon lobster on the front of it. The doctor holds up his hand and looks at it. He looks kind of horrified. Dick tells him it's time. He opens his big old leviathan mouth and starts eating his own hand. Sam and Dean are asking Bobby what the hell he's watching, and Bobby tells them that he's making the doctor eat himself. Dean asks Bobby to repeat that because what the fuck? But Bobby had gotten distracted watching all of that and didn't notice another one of the Leviathans had discovered his location and captures him. When they don't get a response, Sam and Dean go searching for Bobby, find his equipment all abandoned on the roof, and Dean is distraught. They got him. Sam's like, yeah, well, there's at least four Leviathans out there, and we don't even know how to kill one. What are we going to do? When Dean notices a van with Acme Industrial Cleaning painted on the side of it, the cleaning service has arrived. He's like, well, they'll be shocked when we walk right through the front door, won't they? Bobby comes to consciousness in Dick's office. Susan is once again being the most efficient assistant. When Susan takes the goo-spattered bib that is all that remains of Dr. Gaines out of the room, Dick tells Bobby, you're not tied up. We both know that if you tried anything, you wouldn't get past me anyway. So what's up? Bobby's like, so you got Dick Roman. And Dick turns to him and is like, we can have whoever we want. Dick shows off a set of guns that he just won at auction, really fancy guns, and starts loading one and tells Bobby that it's one of humanity's best inventions. 
Bobby tells Dick, oh, come on, let's just cut to the chase. Get get it over with and eat me. And Dick's like, yeah, I'm going to eat you. But until then, I like my meals prepared. And you're still useful because your little friends are going to come try and save you. And Bobby's like, nah, they're too smart for that. They know they don't have the numbers. I could die worse. Like, just get it over with. Kill me already. Down in the warehouse where Edgar is, Sam and Dean come busting in carrying huge canisters filled with borax. They just start spraying every Leviathan they can see, who all start screaming in agony as their skin melts, which is Dick Roman's cue that he hears up in his office. He tucks his fancy little gun inside his belt and just walks out, leaving Bobby completely unrestrained in the office giving Bobby a chance to rifle through everything on Dick's desk. He scours through a bunch of plans and maps as Bobby loads the other gun from Dick's fancy new set. He grabs a whole stack of files and is ready to make a break for it, but he's too late. Susan is standing guard outside. As soon as Bobby opens the door, she backhands him and sends him flying. He drops all the folders, but at least he gets a shot off. It temporarily stuns Susan. He doesn't have time to pick up the files. He just runs for his life. Meanwhile, downstairs, Dick Roman is recovering from getting hit in the face with Borax. He's not as dainty as some of the other Leviathans, but it still hurts him. Unfortunately, though, Sam's tank has run out as Dick closes in on him. That is not how we communicate from a place of yes But Bobby comes down now, shoots Dick in the back twice. At least it draws his attention off Sam. But the distraction gives Dean enough time to throw a bucket of borax water at Dick. And all three of them make a run for it. Unfortunately, Bobby hangs back just long enough. He runs it to another security guard that he has to clobber with a crowbar or something. As Sam and Dean bring their van around... They're like, where the hell's Bobby? They truly could have pulled a little closer to the building. Bobby runs across the parking lot, dives in through the open side door of the van, just as Dick Roman comes out and starts firing willy-nilly at them. Obviously not as willy-nilly as we wished he had been, because those guns that he bought at auction are known for their incredible sighting. And as they all peel out, Dean's like, son of a bitch. Glad you got in. He almost took your friggin' head off. And then he doesn't get an answer from Bobby. Sam's like, hey, Bobby, here's your hat. Like, you knocked it off when you got in the van. And Bobby doesn't respond to that either, which gives Sam pause. He looks down at the hat and sees that there's a bullet hole in it. And they both start yelling his name and looking into the back. And that is how the episode ends. And from this, we all know what the next episode up is. Season 7, Episode 10, Death's Door. And it's honestly the greatest send-off for a character the show has probably ever done. It's the only time they really do a full montage like this of the whole episode being both myth-arc relevant, character relevant, and just a love letter to the character in question. 
I mean, they kind of do something similar with Mary later in the series, but not to this degree where it's all about Bobby. And I honestly wish that they had chosen to do something different with Bobby. (sighs) But Sarah Gamble had to take everything away from them. And if it wasn't bad enough that Dean was already barely holding on to his ability to function as a hunter, having lost Cass, having lost Bobby now too, his only other touch point for this sort of connection that he doesn't have with Sam in that specific way. Sam is his brother whom he is responsible for caring for. He worries about Sam. He doesn't unload on Sam like that like he knew he could always do with Bobby. He just wouldn't do that with Sam. That's not what Sam is there for. Much as Sam thinks he wants that, he really doesn't. Because every time Dean opens up emotionally to him, Sam mocks him or rolls his eyes or thinks Dean's making jokes or something. He never takes it seriously. And so Dean just doesn't even try to be serious about it with him. And I don't blame him for that at all. You know, Sam spends weeks trying to get Dean to open up, and then when Dean finally does, just because he happens to be stoned on TDK Slammer when he does it, Sam's just doing the eye rolling and and being like, shut up, Dean, you're stoned. He, when Sam talks to Bobby about it, he's honest. He's like, yeah, ever since my head broke and ever since we lost Cass, this has been a problem, and I've noticed that Dean just isn't right about any of this. Yet Sam has been pestering Dean about it all season long, trying to force him to admit and open up to it. Yeah, Sam, you can't then turn around when Dean does open up and mock him or make fun of him. That's not how this works. That's not how we communicate from a place of yes, Sam, to use Dick Roman's words. But at least now we understand a little bit about what the Leviathan are up to. They have been busy in the background. Who boy, taking over government, taking over business and industry, agriculture, and trying to engineer humans. What do we know about them in their relationship with humans? Yeah, Dick's kind of amused by humans on some level. Thinks they're like little engines that could. And they are real cute. And it's like finding your dinner cute. Like you go to a farm and you see a cow and you're like, oh, it's cute. But it's also really tasty. It's that kind of attitude. And it's not supposed to be silly or something like that. But yeah, that's exactly how we feel about like sheep and pigs and cows and chickens. They're cute. Yeah, they're all right. But you know what? They're also dinner. So I mean, unless you're vegetarian, but like Those of us that do eat meat, that is not an abnormal or unhealthy attitude to have towards your food. He sees us as food. And this whole, we don't want to be in the papers, not just because we don't want attention drawn to our business, but we don't want humans to start thinking that monsters might be real. We are trying to make it seem like everything that happens is perfectly normal and natural because that makes for the complacency that they want in the human population. They can't do what they want if people are becoming suspicious of things. They just want these outliers in the human population eliminated because they are a problem. 
just like Sam, Dean, and Bobby, have been problems for them. And unfortunately, Dick doesn't really understand humanity. He thinks they are just cattle. He doesn't understand what poking the bear he has achieved by directly angering and interfering with Dean Winchester. Dean, in this episode, Bobby's little pep talk that I have written meta about the trauma for Dean of what he had to do to get himself through this season without self-destructing. This is the first of three pep talks that he gets over the next seven episodes. The next one will be from Frank, two episodes from now. And the third one is from Cass, but not until episode 17, so that one's a ways off. But poor Dean, Bobby told him to find a cause to get you engaged in the work again. Well, Bobby, you're about to give him one. Bobby also finished that little speech with, if you die before me, I'll kill you. Yeah, well, that's not going to be a problem anymore, is it? So either way, Dean got a double dose of slap in the face from this. So, I mean, I get it. I see what they did there. But also, that doesn't mean I like it. I kind of hate it that we lose Bobby like this. It only pisses me off more that in season 14 and 15, we only get fake alternate world Bobby and not actual real Bobby anymore. We never find out what happened to actual real Bobby out past season 10. And it's worrisome and upsetting. I mean, supposedly in the finale, that's actually Bobby. In the Winchesters, that's actually Bobby. But gosh, it would be nice to have known what happened all in the interim with actual Bobby instead of random alternate universe sort of Bobby, you know? I mean, I'm glad they kept Jim Beaver around, but I like Bobby. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know what more I can say about this one. That's one thing about season seven. It's way less convoluted than season six. Pretty dang straightforward, all things said. But Dean, gosh, he did like Ranger Rick. Even before he ate the TDK Slammer, he was kind of amused by Ranger Rick. He's like, yeah, this this dude's fine. He's cool. I think Dean would have enjoyed hanging out with Ranger Rick. I actually wrote Ranger Rick into a, at least one fic. I'm just amused by him. And I wish Dean had more people in his life who were just that chill. Maybe not that stoned on TDK Slammer and like, uncaring of anything really at all. But it would be nice if Dean just had chill people he could hang out with and just do fun things, like go for a hike in the woods or go out to lunch and just chill. I don't know, man. Poor thing. Anyway, yeah, I guess that's pretty much all there is. I loves me a good Ben Edlund episode. We learned a little bit more about the Leviathan. We moved the story forward. And now we're about to take yet one more huge, massive thing away from Dean, the last pillar of his personal support network. And we'll deal with that next week because I just can't handle talking about it tonight. (laughs) It's Thanksgiving week and I just can't give thanks for that. Anyway, I know you're not listening to this on Thanksgiving week, but that's when I'm recording it because that's my schedule. Anyway. I hope everybody did have a nice Thanksgiving whenever it was, like two weeks ago now. But, uh, yeah, we... <laughs> Happy December. Um, until next week, you can find me on Tumblr at Mittensmorgel or at SPN George. You can find me on Blue Sky and Discord as Mittensmorgel 
or you can email me at mittensmorgle at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again real soon. And I do have blue sky invites if anybody wants one. Just message me on Tumblr or Discord or send me an email. Happy to invite anybody who wants to get off the uh, site that shall not be named. Yeah, I'm thinking about actually getting a Tumblr domain just so that I can have a mittens.com as my, or mittensmorgle.com as my blue sky handle, because that would be just amusing as hell. <laughs> but right now it's mittens.bluesky.social, like everybody else's handle is when you first sign up before you assign a, yourself a domain if you have one, but I hope more people join over there because I am not going back to X, or Twitter, whatever the hell it is now. Because it's awful the last couple times I've been over there. Like, oh my god. Anyway, have a good one, everyone.